You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. I want to take you on a little journey here, okay? We're going to go Ooh, back trips. to like July trips. 31st, 2015. All right. Well, not that okay. long ago. It's a hot summer day in East Texas. And a man who, as far as I could discover, uh, did not want his name released to the public. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. For, I know. for reasons that shall become apparent, uh, is hanging out on his property and he decides to go get his 38 revolver. Oh, no. Mm, Why? Is, I don't like the direction this is going. Uh, well, to shoot an armadillo, of course. No, that no. poor armadillo. Now, look, I have no idea I'm why. Sad. Yeah, why a person would want to shoot an adorable little armadillo. Uh, when asked later why he shot at this armadillo, the man apparently said be, something along the lines of, well, because he had seen it earlier. Which, oh, wait. I, can I guess what sense. happens? No, you cannot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can only conclude uh, that he was the kind of guy that takes pleasure in, you know, like, I don't know, just shooting animals for fun. If that sort of thing horrifies you, don't tune away. Keep listening. Spoiler <laughs> alert. The armadillo survives. Holy okay? moly. What? <laughs> okay. So our mystery man pulls out the 38 and fires off three rounds at the armadillo. One of the rounds, I'm going to assume the third one, ricochets off the armadillo's hard exterior, flies back at the man, and strikes him in the jaw. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that That's what, what I thought was going to happen. Go. I mean, I didn't know jaw specifically, but... I was so hoping was, yeah. another part of his anatomy, but you know. Oh, yeah. No, we're not going back to the bobbit fish thing from earlier here. Uh, <laughs> Yikes. So uh, it must have been a pretty bad scene because he actually had to be airlifted to a hospital. Uh, where they ended up, and this may be my favorite part of the story, I'm sorry, they ended up wiring his jaw shut oh, while it healed. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, that sucks. So this is one of those instant karma situations, and yes, I know, someone got shot in the face, and yes, I am okay with that. <laughs> uh, what's perhaps even like weirder, though, is that this was not the only armadillo-involved shooting in 2015. There were more than one? <laughs> in Georgia, uh, a man that we have a name for, it was 54-year-old Larry McElroy, uh, he decided to take a shot at an armadillo with his 9mm. Uh, and I want to examine the details of what happened here, okay? He shot at this armadillo. It supposedly ricocheted off the armadillo, hit a fence, ricocheted off the fence, went through a wood door, of a mobile home and then threw a recliner and hit his mother-in-law in the back who was sitting in the recliner. Wow. So there's a I, lot going on there. Okay. Wow. So the door must have been really weak. Yeah, I gotta like imagine. I mean, it's uh, is it? I a, had the exact same thought. This has got to be like a hollow core door. This is not yes. like you know. You said a trailer, right? Oak or something, right? 
Yeah, it was. If it ricocheted, oh, it's a it had already yeah. lost momentum by ricocheting off an armadillo shell and a fence, mm-hmm. and yet it managed to pre- penetrate a door and a recliner. Well, right. Trailers aren't and known for being the most stable of places. That is also true. Robust. Yeah. So I have some problems with this story. This as doesn't you might imagine. feel quite right. Just having taught, right? Like gun safety and everything like eh. oh oh there's a few things in that department that are wrong about this but yeah here's here's one problem with the story the armadillo died mm. which to me does not make a whole lot of sense mm-hmm. if it's so heavily armored that a nine millimeter bullet just bounces right off it why did it die in this story well armadillos do have you know armor it's not kevlar or steel mm-hmm. uh, it's basically like a thick leather over a layer of not all that thick bone. And this is basically like a turtle shell. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you shoot a turtle with a nine millimeter, it's going straight through the turtle. Yeah. I have no experience with this, but I'm very certain of that. Um, in this case, what I'm guessing actually happened is that the bullet pierced all the way through the armadillo, then hit a fence. It doesn't say what it's made out of. I'm assuming it might've even been a metal fence. And then it you know, flew back probably went through a very thin door mm-hmm. and through a recliner. I even have some doubts about that. You know, it's like, yeah, that's a lot of wrong and someone's like, Oh, I was, you know what? I was shooting at an armadillo. That's why I shot my mother-in-law, you know, I, <laughs> right. the wife can't get you know, never underestimate. Yeah. Never underestimate the human part of these stories and the fact that people don't always tell the truth. Uh, <laughs> So you shock me. I'm I'm also guessing that our story of the good old boy in Texas is alas also likely not the whole story. Uh, what is more likely that this guy fires off three bullets uh, and apparently two of them miss the armadillo. One of them hits the armadillo and ricochets off and hits the guy in the jaw. Or this guy shot three shots at an armadillo. They all missed and one of them hit a rock. And ricocheted back at him. That I'm seems... more willing to accept the rock. Yeah. Just be yeah. from what I know about where you point guns and everything. No rocks. I don't know much about guns at all, but based on what I know of physics, that seems more plausible. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not a very good story, though. Uh, I did try to look up statistics on ricochet injuries, and it turns out they're not officially kept in this country. Uh, but even a quick Google search will turn up many stories every year about people being injured by bullets that have ricocheted. It's not common, uh, but with all the guns and all the bullets being fired, statistically, it, it is going to happen every year. Uh, these particular ricochet stories, I think, made the news because they had this fantastical instant karma angle to them <laughs> that you wouldn't get if someone just, like, shot a rock. You know what I mean? Like, the mm-hmm. idea of this, you know, armadillo magically protecting itself is pretty awesome. And uh, again, it just wouldn't have made the news if it was like, local man shoots rock, injure yourself. You know, it's, it's not quite as sensational. <laughs> See, um, that last one sounds more like a Florida man type thing. It does. Yes. It does. So now, uh, armadillos are amazing and awesome animals. So let's talk about armadillos, all right? Uh, their name means little armored one. And in Spanish, uh, they are relatives of both anteaters and sloths. Which is very Neat. cool. Or for our UK listeners, uh, that's sloth, I believe you guys say. Uh, uh, really? What? Oh, yeah. That, mm-hmm. yeah. Sorry, UK listeners, that's weird. 
Yep. They think we're weird too, I'm sure. There are nine species of armadillo still alive uh, and others known from the fossil record. They originated in South America, uh, which is where most of them are still found today. Now, the nine-banded armadillo uh, has been expanding its range in North America. Uh, they're found from Texas over to North Carolina, and then they've been seen as far north as the southern parts of Nebraska. What? And they're continuing. Yeah, yeah, southern Nebraska. They've been continuing to expand their range, and especially with global warming, they are eventually expected to be found in southern Ohio, Illinois, Pennsylvania, basically all the way around those, you know, Great Lakes states. They mm -hmm. think that the southern part of those states will eventually have armadillos in them, which is pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, the Nine Bandit is one of the larger armadillos out there. They're about two feet long and weigh about 15 pounds. So, you know, basically kind of mm. house cat size. Uh, like I said, though, many of them are smaller. And one of my favorites is called the Screaming Hairy Armadillo. I'm here for it. Let's go. <laughs> Does and it scream? Is it hairy? It's well, yeah, it's mostly my favorite because it's called the Screaming Hairy Armadillo. And it's an awesome name, but it's also super cute. It's like a hairy armadillo, and they're just, they look really snuggly and cute. Although apparently, yes, they do scream if you pick them up. So there Can is you uh, imitate the scream for us? Unfortunately, I haven't heard it. I don't want to hear it because I think it would ruin my impression of, you know, uh, if, it's, if it's not like, I want it to be like a good scream, you know, and it's just like a then that's like, it, it, it would make me think, think less of them. I'm sorry. So uh, I want it to be like a, a blood-piercing scream. So I, I did not actually find a video online. I should have. That would have been good. Uh, there's another small one, the pink fair, fairy armadillo. Pink fairy armadillo. I'm here for it. It's a great name. It's, eh, I know, pictures I saw, it was not, not quite as cute. Uh, they're only five or six inches long, though. So they are That's really so tiny. Cute. That's so teeny. Yeah, really cute and tiny. It's like um, the rat-sized armadillo. Yeah. Ooh, armored, armored rat does not sound yeah. as cute, though. The biggest out there is the giant armadillo, uh, which can get 59 inches long, which, listeners, is longer than wow. longer than my 5'4 and ready co-host Rachel is tall. Yay! Another thing that's bigger <laughs> than me. <laughs> Uh, now, for those, uh, they usually weigh about 50 pounds, and uh, there are records of them weighing about a, up to 119 pounds in the wild, though, from some that have been caught Holy in the moly. They are amazing. Uh, these giant armadillos have more teeth than any other mammal on Earth. They have up to... How many teeth? Up to 100. Oh. Absolutely Shut the front door. door. Yeah. Yep, a lot of teeth. And... Relative to body size, they have the longest claws of any animal. You want to guess how long the claws are? A foot. Oh, I'm a little scared too. Well, not quite that. Eight big. inches. Oh, good. 8.7 nice. inches, Victoria. Yeah. Scar! Nice. Now, sadly, they are threatened with extinction. Uh, they are a source of meat, uh, and farmers sometimes kill them for digging up their fields. They also have a low birth mm. rate. All these things combine to make them really vulnerable. Um, I'm really hoping they won't be wiped out. Because much like beavers in North America, uh, studies have found that they are crucial to shaping the habitat and making it suitable to many other species. Uh, so they really are. Which, uh, which part of South America do they live in? I believe uh, the giant ones are found in like Argentina type region. Okay. So that's what I got for you this week. Armadillos, they are amazing animals. Stop shooting them.
can I add a, an armadillo factoid that I know? They are one of the only animals besides humans that can be infected with leprosy. That's what I was going to say, Victoria. <laughs> nice. Oh, they're so fun, though. My oh. Well, thanks for adding that little fact in, Victoria. Uh, you know, Rachel, we need to hear from you, and you're coming up next after the break. Kirk here with a quick note. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. It helps other lovers of The Strange find our show. You can also find and follow us on social media. Search for Strange by Nature Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or come visit us at strangebynaturepodcast.com. We'll see you there. Now, back to the show. Alrighty. Well, this week, uh, it's springtime as of the recording of this uh and i've thought about this topic a lot recently um and it's something that we're teaching right now uh with our classes so in the springtime what is a topic that we're teaching a lot of right about now in our classes okay. as naturalists uh, teach a lot about flowers in the springtime. Flowering plants, yeah. All right. What about insects? What, what about is something them? that we all touch about? Uh, that we all touch on, but maybe we don't know the intricacies of. Um, I mean, there's Amphibians a lot about insects that it. we kind of. Oh, metamorphosis. Yes. Ah. So right. this week, I'm talking about metamorphosis. Nice. Um, just because it's totally bizarre. Um, just the fact that I'm going to be more focusing on invertebrate metamorphosis and insect metamorphosis than okay. uh, amphibian. Um, mainly because as weird as amphibian metamorphosis is, it's a little easier to observe. I whereas agree. Whereas insect metamorphosis, once they go in that cocoon, have you ever wondered what's going on in that cocoon? Because I oh, have. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, I have. Um, Enlighten us, so, Rachel. Here we go. So a lot of different creatures, like we said, use it. And I do have a challenge, a social media challenge for all of our listeners. Um Send us photos or comment what kinds of creatures you know of that go through metamorphosis. Uh, send us pictures, post pictures, use hashtag metamorphosis and hashtag strange by nature and it'll be great. Um, so the basis that I'm going to use since we're all used to it and that's it's the one that comes to a lot of people's brains is the caterpillar to butterfly metamorphosis just because Wait. it's one that's clearer. Um, so once the caterpillar hatches from the egg, their main job as a larva is to eat. They're going to eat and eat and eat. And as they eat, they're going to be molting as they grow bigger and bigger and bigger. So they're going to be shedding their skin as they keep going. Um, this is actually really important that they continue to, that they eat so much, um, because in some insects, the larva stage is the only stage where they have actual mouth, mouth parts, which means that 
they're unable to eat once they're an adult. Their only job as an adult in that case would be to mate, lay eggs, and then die. Correct, yep. Um, this would, a good example of this would be the Cecropia moth. Um, and because it doesn't have working mouth parts or digestive system, it, they're alive for about two weeks. The, the, adults um, are, the adults are in their adult stage, they're alive for two weeks. Yes, once right. they're in the adult stage, they're alive for two weeks. Uh, one, one day, once the larva or caterpillar gets big enough, it's like, all right, I'm done. And it finds a good spot to anchor itself and just to either hang or um, attach itself to a leaf. And it begins spinning its pupa or chrysalis. Usually it begins at its uh, butt end and it's secreting the compounds to create that cocoon. Or in this case, in scientific terminology, this is the pupa stage. Once it is fully cocooned, there are enzymes that are released that literally digest itself in. Like, digest all of the tissues. It's becoming yeah, yeah. larva soup. It's mm-hmm. so weird. I, I have to say, Rachel, I, I had this topic on my list. I think I wrote it down <laughs> as something like caterpillar chrysalis goo. And then yes. <laughs> you, you've, you've taken it. So well done. Thank you. Yeah, I've been I, thinking I think, about it a lot today. I think, Rachel, you know, most people who who haven't heard about this topic before would probably assume that inside that uh, cocoon or the chrysalis for a butterfly that you would have the animal just sort of slowly changing mm-hmm. bit by bit, maybe growing some wings and things, but no, most it people turns don't realize that, yeah, it just becomes gooified. In yeah. There. So it's literally digesting all of those tissues um, and it becomes literally larva soup. That is what I've seen all over, that's what scientists kind of refer to it as, just soup. Um, and it's because, obviously, it's super protein-rich. Um, however, it doesn't completely dissolve all of the tissues. It uses something called... it. What remains is something called imaginal discs. And those are pretty much just these little tiny discs that are the base of all of the adult parts. These are already in the caterpillar from birth, um, but they're kind of just hanging around. They're in the general location where they will be. And once they become that, once it becomes this goo, uh, the caterpillar uses uh, the protein-rich goop to use as energy to elongate and stretch these imaginal discs that have all of the body parts ready to go that just need to be spread out to create its new adult form. And this can take anywhere from a week or as little time as a week, I should say, because, oh my gosh, that's just (laughs) becoming a goo and then all of a sudden you're an adult. Right. If I I dissolve my whole body in goo, it it would take a little while to put it back together. Mm Exactly. Exactly. And then it changes into that adult form, which is already coded into its DNA. And then once it's big enough and has fully developed, it emerges. 
uh, and it breaks through usually using the butterfly um, analogy and or example, it uses the proboscis and its antenna and legs to kind of break through. Um, first, of course, the uh, outside actually darkens and weakens the cocoon so it's actually able to break out. Um, sometimes should... this can take years. Years, wow. Yeah. There's some We should probably of... maybe clarify for our listeners the difference between a chrysalis and a cocoon because we've been throwing those terms around without really specifying which is which. That's fair. So a chrysalis is specific to a to butterflies. Uh, generally speaking, they're hanging on some sort of plant material where they're more or less sheltered. A cocoon is more uh, a moth. So those are moth-specific rather than butterflies. And a cocoon is generally spun out of silk uh, yes. that the moth makes, whereas a chrysalis is sort of formed from the caterpillar's body more directly. Exactly. Right. And um, the movie uh, Cocoon in the 1980s was very different than the movie Chrys- Chrysalis, which I don't think... I, I don't know if there exist. was a movie Chrysalis, right? Yeah, so yeah. it was very different. There is a movie that we don't need to see again. That's fair. While all of this is happening, the pupa on the inside, it's still an insect. It's just in a different stage. It's in the pupa stage. It's actually breathing through... It's still breathing. It's still getting oxygen. There are small tubes that are connected to the outside of the pupa that allow it to breathe. And this is more butterfly specific. Hold on a moment. Did I, are you saying the goo is breathing? Yes. Really? Not necessarily what? the... Yeah. So not necessarily like the goo itself but it still needs oxygen exchange so because of that there are small tubes that bring in oxygen from the outside of the pupa that is amazing wow yeah yeah and then once it emerges as an adult it goes off and does whatever it needs to in its adult life right that yeah it's it's such an amazing story yeah. I'm Just... sure if you were that first person to, you know, cut cut <laughs> open one of those chrysalis or a cocoon and be like, wait, hold on, what? This is mm-hmm. just goo. How exactly. does it do that? And we still don't know very much. Like, scientists in... have just been able to get the technology to be able to see into the chrysalis without actually damaging it. So they can see as it progresses and develops through. Because otherwise, you're just breaking it open and there's nothing more that's going to happen after that. Right. Now, I remember when I first heard this story many, many years ago, it was that it was a complete liquefaction and there was nothing left, you know. And obviously, over time, as they've studied it more, they've kind of backtracked a bit and said, well, okay, hold on. There are some structures in here, you know, that uh, were not apparent at the first. So uh, it's definitely something that they are bit by bit 
un unraveling and, and learning more about. Mm -hmm. That's what I've got for you both today. Awesome. awesome. Thank, Thank you so much. much. All right. After the break, I will be. It's Victoria. Yay. All right. So I've mentioned on the show a couple of times that I am a mom of twins, a boy and a girl. They're currently about two and a half and might even hear them in the background right now. They're being a little loud. But maybe that experience is what drew me to this topic. Um, I am talking today about superfetation. What? Uh, what? Yes. So this is when a multiple... You got us. What, what, what is that? <laughs> It's when a multiple pregnancy occurs with fetuses at different stages of development due to the eggs being fertilized like weeks apart. Oh my. What? Okay, I have I have heard of this. I'm not familiar with that term. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. But... Are you saying that there you can get pregnant while pregnant? Well, yeah. we're going to talk about it. <laughs> we're going to talk about it. So just a quick review of a normal pregnancy in humans uh, or normal twin pregnancy. So twin fetuses can either be monozygotic, which is where one egg is fertilized by one sperm and then the egg splits in two and separates, leading to identical twins, uh, which they have the same DNA, they have to be the same sex at birth. Or they can be dizygotic, where there are two separate eggs released by the ovaries at the same time, fertilized by two different sperm, and those develop that into fraternal me. twins who are no more alike than any other two siblings of the same parents. And Rachel, you said... That was me. There you go. Yeah, That's and those are my, my twins, too, because boy and girl, they have to be fraternal. Mm -hmm. right. The amount of times I get the question, are you identical, <laughs> is insane. Yeah. They're like, no, my brother looks different than I do. Mm -hmm. especially, uh, especially certain parts of the body. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, their hair is totally different. <laughs> Yes. That's also, he's six foot. So there's that. that. And you're witty, itty bitty. Maybe. <laughs> you just called her witty bitty. <laughs> I'm five foot four and ready. <laughs> Actually, five foot four is a, is a perfectly average height for an American. Very female. average height, yeah. <laughs> so superfetation is a little bit controversial. There have been confirmed cases in other mammals although it is not clear if it occurs as a regular reproductive strategy in any mammal, human cases are, let's say, unusual. So normally after an embryo or two, in the case of twins, implants in the uterus, the uterine lining changes to make it really difficult for another embryo to implant again. And in mm. addition, um, the cervix will develop this um, mucus plug, which blocks additional sperm from entering the uterus. Now, it is not unusual for twins to be born with one being significantly larger than the other. And, you know, because of this, it might be tempting to think that they're at truly at different stages of development at different ages. But most of the time, this is actually due to other factors. So one major one that happens a lot is twin-to-twin -twin trans transfusion syndrome. And that can occur when twins, usually identical twins, share a placenta. And basically, one mm. twin starts hogging the bulk of the blood flow. Uh, however, there have been in recent years a couple actually documented case cases of superfetation occurring in people. 
So in 2020, a woman in England became pregnant and she was confirmed having a single baby through an early ultrasound. And she went back a few weeks later and surprise, there was another fetus, which appeared to be about (laughs) three weeks smaller. (laughs) Um, Sounds like my worst nightmare. Yeah. Well, that there was some celebrating at that house that... (laughs) (laughs) And she, she wound up... Given birth, uh, well, she she gave birth a little early due to some issues, but anyway, they both both of the twins survived. Here's the catch, though: she had been taking a fertility drug that increases ovulation. Okay, there we go. Yeah, so you know, doctors aren't sure, but they think it's quite possible that that may have had something to do with what happened. Another recent case, I think it was 2017, there was a white American woman who had a black husband. And she was acting as a surrogate mother for a Chinese couple. You with me so far? Yes. Okay. Sure. Uh, And she had a twin pregnancy. She did not see the babies after they were born because they were whisked away to their, their parents, right? Right. But she got this text a month later, uh, right, as the family was about to fly back to China. And it showed a picture of babies that did not look at all alike. And one looked Chinese and the other looked like... A, a biracial black and white baby. Wow. So DNA oh, testing oh, confirmed oh. that the second baby was genetically the child of the American couple. <laughs> oh. <Wow>. And <laughs> um, they were able eventually to get custody of this child. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, that was my next question. Like, uh, what, what do you do in that situation? <laughs> Very awkward. Um, But in this case, also, it's possible, you know, if you're doing surrogate pregnancy, you have to take a whole bunch of drugs to deal with that. And so it's possible that that somehow led to increased chance of a second embryo implanting. We don't know for sure. Sure, sure. So, you know, fertility drugs, maybe, whatever. However, it also appears in some recent research that there are a significant number of women that may actually ovulate more than once per cycle. And basically scientists just never tested this before, but they did this study of, I don't know, it was like 60 women and a third of them released more than one egg. Wow. Uh, That is statistically quite a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I may be, I may be misremembering the numbers there because I didn't write it down, but. um, Well, you know, 20% of all statistics are made up on the spot. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, so if that's, you know, if that's something that is actually that widespread, you can imagine that might lead to more superfetation. But in this case, the, the embryos would only be a few days to a, like maybe a week apart. Right. And mm-hmm. would you even notice something to consider really. is before ultrasound well, existed, you'd think that twins would be way more common than two if it was that common. Right. Well, I guess the question would be like how many cases of fraternal twins might that already exists um might be just like that slightest separated by a week or something Mm -hmm. gotcha Mm -hmm. gotcha but you would never have known before ultrasound technology there would be no way to to confirm this and it's only relatively recently that they started using ultrasounds early in pregnancy so we just don't know um but you know, as time goes on, we may see more of these cases getting confirmed, and as assisted reproductive technologies like 
surrogacy and ovulation drugs, uh, you know, mm-hmm. increase, we may see increased chance of that happening. So more cases in the future to come, possibly. Wow. I mean, really cool. Still sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Well, even finding out about normal twins is a bit of a shock, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. I believe that. See, what I like to say is, and Josh, if you're listening, I love you, but it's true. I was on purpose. Josh was the surprise baby. (laughs) Oh, I see. (laughs) I was born first. You were born first. Okay, that's what I was saying. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. there you go. So you'll, you'll always have that. Exactly. Now, see, I'm a se- I'm a second child, so it wasn't a twin, but I always I always go with the line, uh, you know, my parents believed in the old saying, if at first you don't succeed, try try again. <laughs> That's a good one. Solid. All right, All thanks, right. thanks everybody. Yeah, see you Thank next you. week. Thanks everyone for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange. I got called itty bitty. <laughs> was it itty bitty or witty bitty or? Uh... I think it was witty bitty. That's good. You're you're witty but small. Is that what that means? I'm down for that. Witty bitty. Mm-hmm.